don't have the words. I don't have the answers. The extra hugs that I've been given my guy comes with the sobering knowledge that other parents and family members in another Texas city are facing unimaginable grief. Although not directly impacted by the tragedy in my home state of Texas, my heart aches as a mom and as someone who was a classroom teacher. My heart aches for so many facing direct and indirect anxiety, fears, difficult discussions, and difficult decisions in the days ahead. My family and faith are always sources of stability, but especially in moments of crisis. My prayer for those directly and indirectly impacted by this tragedy is that you find comfort and peace in the midst of these hard moments. Professional help is a resource that might need to be considered to help you through any personal crisis, as well as these shared crises. Listen in on some reminders that might be helpful as you navigate this crisis. As we're away here on some vacation time and family time, I am once again reminded of how blessed I am. In one of our previous episodes in this series, I shared that it is okay to seek professional help. I am an expert in this area that I'm blessed to call my sister-in-law. Crystal is a licensed professional counselor and a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in trauma, grief, and anxiety. Now on a side note, I have to say that she makes amazing jam buds and aromatherapy products too. But I digress, so we'll get back to the purpose of this episode. I hope this episode can help you go about seeking professional help when necessary. The goal of this podcast is to give practical and applicable strategies in helping the little ones we love and care for. But oftentimes, I find that things that come up can benefit anyone. I think this will be true of our conversation today. We will obviously start with the young ones in mind, but I'm sure our discussion will extend beyond that. Professional help may be the best thing for you or someone you love, but you don't know where to begin. Professional help might seem financially out of reach for you. Someone you love might benefit from professional help, but their primary caregiver is not pursuing that option. You realize that it's not a matter of if, but when you or someone you love grows through a crisis. So you want ideas for when that moment comes. If any of that is true, this episode is for you. Join me as I soak up some ideas when it comes to counseling, support, and mental health during crisis. So I watch less news these days. Staying up on current events by watching the news was a regular occurrence for me before Little Man was born and even in those really early phases of his life. However, now that he's very aware and attuned to his surroundings, I want to be mindful of what he's exposed to. How and when do we shield our kids from crisis versus discussing the crisis with them? You bring up an excellent point about news coverage. Excessive news coverage can cause anxiety in young children, teenagers, and also in adults who are already experiencing anxiety. For the youngest children, any coverage during a crisis could be too much. I recommend having an age-appropriate conversation early on in a crisis and then checking in periodically. Older individuals who need to be more aware of what's going on in the world might find that reading the news or listening to the news without seeing all the images might be preferable. Mm. I like to listen to the news on the radio during my commute. Being bombarded with a variety of disturbing images can have a greater negative impact on our brains and contribute to higher levels of stress and anxiety. As we know, kids are sponges, so we want to be careful what we let them soak up. 
Uh, so true about the little ones being sponges. Now I know there will be times, and you touched on this briefly, when we have to share with our children or they're exposed to the crisis personally. What is the best way to handle that? I believe the most important first step is to stay as calm as possible in these situations. Children will look to the adults in charge to determine if things are going to be okay. So stay, stay calm while sharing the relevant information and try to do that with a relaxed body. Remember to breathe and take your time. Don't hold back information that children might hear from another source, even if you think they're not quite ready. For example, if sharing bad family news, keep in mind that they could be told by a cousin or overhearing adults in the family talking. It could be more confusing if they hear it elsewhere, and then you have to do damage control. Ooh, I, I agree that preventative is better than damage control too, because the kids I know in my life hear more than I would ever expect they hear and then they're asking questions later. So definitely better to share ahead of time. Well, I'm guessing you've heard comments about the fact that kids are so resilient. Now at the same time, I think it's also as much as possible, we want to be proactive instead of reactive. Like you just talked about damage control with comments they might hear. Mm -hmm. And I think sooner is better than later. And when it comes to addressing areas of concerns, what signs or clues should a parent watch for that they might need to pursue getting professional help? Yes to resilience. Absolutely, kids are able to endure and bounce back from difficult experiences, and they can even gain strength from life's challenges. However, children are most resilient when they have adult supports in place. Mm. So we want to protect them when possible and intervene early to provide support when we can't fully shield them. When considering signs to look out for, consider that you are the expert on your young child. The first signs are likely changes in your child's mood, behavior, or demeanor. Pay attention to changes in mood, sleep patterns, appetite, and engagement in favorite activities. So if they stop doing some of their favorite things, then you know that might be a little bit concerning. It's then good to have a conversation about these changes. And rather than asking, what's wrong with you, or are you okay, Try to ask open questions with a neutral tone, like how are you feeling or what happened? Be prepared to listen and try not to immediately look for a solution. Often as adults, we want to fix the problem, but the ideal first response is one of empathy. We want to make children feel heard and seen. We want to acknowledge their emotions. Also, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Asking if your child is sad, depressed, or suicidal does not create those issues but instead allows an opportunity to support them if the answer is yes. And for younger children, we would use the language of feeling sad, upset, or wanting to hurt yourself. Mm. Also pay attention to physical symptoms. As many individuals, especially young people, will experience somatic or body-based symptoms. Stomach aches can be internalized, anxiety, and back pain can result from physically tensing the body after trauma or prolonged stress. These are just a couple of examples. Mm. After listening, offering hugs, and other kinds of parental supports, giving advice and solutions, you want to continue to monitor your child's behavior and demeanor. Keep asking them how they're feeling. When you feel stuck and your child is not getting back to his or her typical self, it may be time to get professional support. If your child is expressing self-harming thoughts or dangerous behaviors, seek help right away. Yeah, and you started into that just now, but it's when might someone, kid or adult alike, continue that process of seeking out the professional help? So we've discussed resilience and how kids best thrive when they have support as they go through life struggles. Professional help, including professional counseling, is simply another support. In some instances, individuals might feel more comfortable talking to a therapist than a family member because the therapist is not triggered by the personal struggles being shared. 
It's really hard for parents to hear about their children's experiences being bullied or experiencing a traumatic event. So that might be a really good time to seek professional help. Common experiences such as grief, divorce, or living through a global <laughs> pandemic can affect mental health in a variety of ways. When to seek help can be subjective as people can certainly benefit from professional support before it's really a need. When people often hope things will improve on their own, um, and sometimes they do, they might put off getting help, but earlier is generally better. So starting professional supports earlier can lead to faster healing and fewer sessions being needed. Mm. And then one issue really close to my heart is childhood traumatic grief. This is defined as the death of a parent during childhood, even if it's of natural causes. People may be surprised to hear that the younger a child is, the more complicated their grief due to brain development and the ability to process what the loss truly means at that early age. Even babies can grieve early losses and the confusion of missing a loved one's voice, scent, or touch that was present at the beginning of their life. I highly recommend considering professional supports if your child has experienced childhood traumatic grief. Many children will not grieve in ways that make it clear that their grief is the issue. Their performance at school may suffer or they might start physically fighting siblings or peers. Grief has so many faces and looks different depending on the individual or circumstances. So that's definitely one of those areas that at some point we would wanna get some professional supports. Wow, okay, so we don't wait for the signs on something like grief, it sounds like. You automatically go I would and start pursuing. That. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. Well, you mentioned in, in, in our world, we're bombarded in the news and media and different things about mental health and crisis, because honestly, there's been a season of global crisis that we've all been going through. Mm -hmm. So as we think about, it could be this season of global crisis in our country, it could be the season of personal crisis, but how then, what's the practical process of going about getting that help when a loved one recognizes we need some professional supports? I think one good place is to still talk to your family doctor about a referral. It's also really good to check through your insurance provider. They have databases you can look through online that will give you all the, the providers that are available, therapists and doctors. You can also search on provider sites, search for providers on sites like Psychology Today. They have a find a therapist yeah. um, section and a lot of therapists put their information on there and keep that updated. These days there are also many optional options for virtual therapy, including mm. those available through your insurance company's telehealth, or there are some newer platforms that combine talk therapy with opportunities to text with a therapist between sessions. Some people might like that. Wow. Additionally, many areas throughout the country have excellent nonprofits providing high quality professional counseling at reduced costs or even free. Usually the free is for minors. Uh, you can call 211 to check resources in your, in your area. That's a national number to locate a variety of community resources, not just counseling. Wow. Additionally, children in school might start with a meeting with a campus counselor, social worker, and during a crisis, teens can text HELP to 741741 to text with a trained crisis counselor. And anyone can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. So I wanted to mention a couple of crisis resources, but those are just a few of the, the available resources. There is a lot available out there. Okay, I'm so glad that you were here to share that information. And I'll include that, I guess, in the show notes kind of area of the description. But calling 211, checking for area resources. I mm -hmm. wanna highlight that again. Teens specifically could text HELP 741-741 to reach out in the suicide prevention line, 
888-888-8255. Again, I don't feel like I can stress enough. If you need professional help, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a wise thing to not struggle alone, but seek out the professional support you might need. Now you touched on this just a few minutes ago, but finances. You mentioned that nonprofits might help and there are different resources and options, but what should our listeners know about finances when it comes to trying to get some of these professional supports? There really is a wide range of what therapy can cost. Accessibility can get difficult depending on where you live and your personal finances. So I definitely encourage individuals to check out nonprofits specializing in mental health. Uh, I actually have spent a lot of my career working in nonprofit organizations and I received really excellent training that I would not have been able to afford just as a private practice counselor starting out. Mm. Sliding scale is when a counselor or a counseling center offers a range of prices based on income bracket. So it certainly doesn't hurt to ask if the place that you're looking at offers a sliding scale. Also, employees at a lot of companies, you can ask if your company has an employee assistance program or EAP, which might offer a few free counseling sessions. Many companies offer as many as six free sessions that in some cases can be used by anyone in the household. So it could be for you, your child, um, an extended family member living in the home. If your company offers even a couple free sessions, that's a great way to see if a counselor is a good fit. Okay. All right, so now we've we've talked through they're getting the professional help or pursuing the professional help, thought through finances. Let's say I'm ready for a session. What might I expect to happen during the process of getting the professional support? That's a great question. And I'm also going to use that as an opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about terminology. I think this comes up a lot when I'm having conversations with different people. So what is the difference between a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist, a counselor? Uh, Someone might see a psychiatrist if they need medication that supports mental health. So psychiatrists are medical doctors. You might not spend a lot of time with them after the first appointment, although that could really differ from one doctor to the next. Psychologists are therapists with a PhD who are able to provide both both therapy and advanced psychological testing. And then master's level psychotherapists like myself are often interchangeably called therapists or counselors. So you'll hear people really use those two terms. I kind of prefer therapist personally over counselor because really the word counselor means to advise and that's actually not a big part of of the counseling process. They really teach us. Yeah, it's more about therapy and healing. Um, So some of the licenses are licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, or licensed clinical social worker, but that really differs from state to state. And we provide psychotherapy or professional counseling. So again, those are interchangeable terms. And then we also provide some assessments really for diagnosis and treatment planning. So you might do a depression screening or some assessment that helps you kind of narrow down what kind of anxiety someone might have. Okay. So it's important to consider that therapy is a working relationship. And whether it's a child or an adult, it's really important to take time to get comfortable with your therapist. So early sessions often focus on building this relationship and the client sharing as much as he or she is comfortable with. Now, younger children will generally benefit from specialized play therapy rather than traditional talk therapy. So this is a therapist with a play therapy room where children are able to reenact things that have been bothering them through play. Hmm. And most children will benefit from this type of therapy over talk therapy until about age 10, but it really does depend on the individual child. Okay. 
And then therapy can include education about mental health, because a lot of times we want to normalize what someone's going through. This is normal for your experience. It also includes training in how to self-regulate your brain and body, self-calm, and other coping skills as well. And in addition to those objectives, processing life experiences is a primary focus of therapy. So individuals should present their goals for therapy when possible. Okay. Beyond play therapy, there's a real variety of specialized types of therapy. Many children, teens, and even adults will find it easier to process life experiences through art therapy. So that's okay. available. And then there are cognitive behavioral therapies, trauma-focused therapies, and even therapy that integrates biofeedback machines. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we could go down a real rabbit hole talking about all the varieties of therapy. I think for most people, it's important to find a therapist that you're comfortable with. I personally advocate for CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and trauma-focused CBTs, as well as EMDR, which is worth researching for teens and adults who have experienced trauma and don't feel like they've healed from those experiences. Now, can I stop? Mm -hmm. EMDR. Yes. What does that stand for? Right. And so the actual, what it actually stands for is it's kind of difficult to explain. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. Um, so I, I think you, it's something you want to research if that's something to see if that's something that's for you. It is really good for trauma, but what it really is, the original name of it, it's shifted a little bit. It's really more about bilateral stimulation of the brain. So they do activities that while you're processing a trauma, um, you're stimulating each side of your brain back and forth, and that helps to resolve some of the trauma. So okay. I kind of almost wish they would change the name <laughs> <laughs> because the EMDR part can get Tell a little bit confusing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But just like going to a doctor, sometimes you might need to try a new doctor before you find the right fit. That is the same with therapy. So you need to find you know, that therapist that is right for you. And sometimes you find that person right away. Um, I have one coworker that says finding a, the right therapist is like finding like your favorite pair of shoes, mm. you know, like <laughs> might take a while, but once you find them, like you're really good with them. Wow. <laughs> and finally, I encourage people to consider that therapy is a process that generally takes time. So it's not like taking antibiotics a couple of weeks and then you're good. And parents should especially consider that their children will need time to connect with a therapist. This can certainly take longer with kids and teens and adults. Mm. I encourage parents to talk with a therapist about the treatment plan and try to complete the entire plan rather than ending therapy when your child starts to show early signs of improvement. The longer we have carried burdens or scars of our overwhelming life experiences, the longer we might need to heal from those experiences. Wow, as you were talking, it made me think of a couple things that I know in other conversations have been trends. One of them is the uniqueness of the individual. It sounds like said, finding mm -hmm. the therapist who's the right fit for you and even the plan and the process. So yes. as the caregiver, as the loved one, as the adult, we wanna be mindful of the uniqueness of your child to help work through this process. Absolutely. And then also one of the, the big responsibilities I think about and feel as a parent, especially as of a young child, is you wanna be able to advocate for your child. You wanna be, they don't know enough to say, I need professional mm -hmm. help. So you wanna be the one who is aware, who is working through the process. You said being involved in the treatment plan. And a part of this process is an advocate for your young one that you know and love. All right, so what if it maybe isn't the young one we know and love where we have a greater sense of control over, how might we encourage or help someone else who might need to seek help in a season of crisis or they've experienced some type of trauma? 
that can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. I certainly encourage people to share if they themselves have benefited from professional help, share those experiences. Otherwise, I think it's important to focus on expressing your concern for your loved one. Okay. Tell them you want them to consider professional supports because you want them to feel as happy as possible or that it could help them perform better at school or work. For parents seeking your own supports, keep in mind that your own self-care is incredibly important to be the best parent and person you can be. It's definitely the opposite of selfish. And taking that time to access professional supports can with time result in increased energy for you and the mental clarity that can help you function more efficiently. So kind of put some time in up front and get the benefits later. Okay. And then for parents who need to encourage your children and teenagers especially, I actually recommend you make professional supports mandatory when you believe that they would be beneficial because I've met very few teenagers who really just want to go to therapy. Mm. But when they do, they do really well. So you can allow them to have some input on which therapist, perhaps by looking at therapist profiles online. You can also ask them to try a therapist two to three times. And if they don't like the therapist, you'll allow them to try another one. That way they know that you believe that therapy is important, but they also have some input into who this person is that they'll be sharing with. Okay. Well, part of the reason for this series is I would say we've been surrounded in our country and our world by crisis. I know our shared crisis when we think about the pandemic comes to mind. What suggestions would you have related to just general mental health of our listeners? The pandemic is considered a global trauma okay. by professionals. And that means that we're all affected and that we may not be fully aware of all those effects until more time has passed. So traumas are our most overwhelming life experiences. They can result in a variety of symptoms, including depression, anxiety, and hypervigilance. Just, you know, being jumpy and always just looking around for our safety. And I think most people have experienced that hypervigilance at some point, if not often, during this ongoing pandemic. For example, every time we see someone wearing a mask, which is important, it's a little reminder of the danger that is still present. Over the last year, I've seen a dramatic increase in panic, anxiety, and symptoms of depression in my clients. Mm. So I encourage everyone to remember we are still in uncharted territory and we need to offer ourselves and others grace as we struggle on. Mm. Additionally, I think everyone can benefit from some of the basics we encourage in therapeutic support, such as learning basic diaphragmatic breathing, engaging in health, healthy physical activity, and taking time to process everything we go through in life. There are lots of coping skills available on YouTube, so you can learn different types of breathing and self-regulation. Yeah. Processing can be talking to a friend, journaling, or designating some time to just think through what's going on, perhaps during a walk, or at least a few hours before bed. We don't want to do that right before bed. That can mm. affect our sleep. During these difficult times, healthy physical activity is more important than ever for our heart health and our brain health, which includes mental health. Physical activity helps to release and regulate the neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin that help us feel good and sleep well. If we can make the healthy physical activity fun even better, then we'll be more likely to engage in it, do it often. So try to find physical activity that's fun for the whole family. Ah, and a great brain building block for the young ones we love, also providing some mental health support. Mm -hmm. All right, it's been great, our discussion that we've had, but as we end each episode, I like to wrap up with some brain building blocks, some real practical and applicable ways that our listeners can apply 
some of the things we've talked about. So I like to start each brain building block session with a type of food. What's the best food habit to form related to crisis moments? Does water count as food? Oh, <laughs> I, I can go there with you. Let's go there. I think that's important and vital. Well, I really think the most important food habit in a crisis is to keep your healthy habits. So during times of crisis, it's easy to neglect our basic needs. However, when our basic needs aren't met, things emotionally feel more intense. You're sleep deprived, dehydrated, hungry, or hangry. <laughs> Everything bad will feel worse. And crying is a healthy release during challenging times, but it can actually cause dehydration, leading to headache, puffiness, and fatigue. So I actually encourage folks to grab a bottle of water and have a good cry. Okay. So staying hydrated and keeping to your healthy nutrition routine during a crisis is really ideal. Food is fuel and we'll need the best fuel available to cope. It's natural to want to indulge in comfort food, but we should do our best to keep any healthy habits. So I say start with water. Okay, I like that. Well, what about a phrase? What is a phrase you would share with someone feeling overwhelmed by their crisis? I think that phrases could ideally be unique to each person or experience. So this too shall pass. I like to use that one a lot. Mm. Or things will get better are good examples. I think the key, however, is to get individuals to adapt their own personal coping phrase as healthy self-talk. Okay. All right, for a fun activity, what is a healthy escape, but I'll say coping idea for a child learning to thrive in crisis? Okay. Well, I think one of my favorite techniques with little kids is what we kind of refer to as birthday candles breathing. Okay. So you hold up all your fingers and you have them hold up their fingers and you imagine that they're candles and we're going to blow out all the candles. Oh. So this is a fun way to encourage a diaphragmatic breath for younger kids, just blowing out those candles. So you have your, your child that's upset and you just do that to help them to self calm and take those deep breaths. We actually kind of stop breathing when we're stressed. If you ever watch someone in crisis, you will notice that they'll actually hold their breath for extended amounts of time. Wow. And then for older kids and teens, I really love teaching a happy place meditation where you draw or imagine a beautiful place and what all your senses would experience there and how you'd feel emotionally. So for example, one of my favorites, I like to imagine myself at the beach, seeing the sunrise, hearing the waves crash, smelling and tasting the saltiness in the air, mm. feeling the sunshine on my skin and sand under bare feet and I'm feeling safe and relaxed there. So that is covering all of your senses and imagining those details. I can meditate on the safe and happy place and take a little break from life stressors. So you can do this with really kids of all ages, but this is a great mini escape and a way to recharge. It's one of my personal favorites to practice. Okay, great conversation. Thank you for being with us. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up this episode? I think I want to just close with a reminder that mental health is health. It's mm -hmm. a part of our health, no different than taking care of your heart or lungs. In fact, taking steps to support your mental health is in fact taking care of your brain. So let's all do what we can to support each other in this way. Wow. Well, thank you. And what a great way to wrap up this series on how to thrive in crisis. Join us next time for more information and brain building blocks. Please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay connected with Let's Build Their Brain via Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Let's Build Their Brain Pod and on Twitter at Build Their Brain. 
Thank you for checking back with us each Monday for a new episode. We hope you leave each podcast with practical and applicable suggestions to aid your endeavor of building the brains of the ones you love. Until next time, let's build their brains.